0: All right, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. We come to our last king of Israel. Um, We've been looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly, looking at the kings of Israel and Judah. If you remember, the kingdom was split into two after Solomon's reign ended. uh, Jeroboam took the northern kingdom, uh, ten tribes in the north, uh, and that was called Israel, And then um, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south, and that was known as Judah. Out of the 19 kings from the north, not one of them was good. They were all bad, and some of them were downright ugly. Um, Out of the 20 kings in the south, eight of them were good. From the 20 kings of the south, all of them came from the line of David, from the 19 kings in the north, I think there were nine different dynasties, different families. It was just um, betrayal and intrigue, and, and they had the opportunity to have a kingdom just like Judah. Ahijah the prophet said to Jeroboam, if you follow the Lord, your kingdom will be blessed just like David." but he didn't. He set up the golden calves, refused to allow people to go down to Jerusalem to worship, and they just went from one uh, a bad king to another. Um, we won't go through, again, we won't go through all the kings because we are, let's like say we, we're into our 30s now at the minute, so um, we can just see that there's been a lot of kings. Um, Okay, so uh, last week we looked at Ahaz. If you remember uh, from the southern kingdom, Jotham was a king where nothing bad was written about. Ahaz was a king where nothing good was written about. Um, During Ahaz's reign, Isaiah is the prophet. During Ahaz's reign, Isaiah gave that prophecy to uh, Ahaz that a virgin would conceive and would bear a son and would call his name Emmanuel. So I'm saying that to say this. At the time of Isaiah's prophecy, during Ahaz's reign, um, Hoshea comes to the throne in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he is the last king of Israel. Um, 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea the son of Elah to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalamazar, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and brought no present to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison." Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Harbo by the river Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together and for this opportunity to come around you a word. word. Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. This morning, Lord, we've learned so much, not just from the good kings uh, that reigned in Judah, but we've also learned um, from uh, the mistakes that the wicked kings made in north and south. We've learned from uh, their attributes, from their characteristics, from uh, the way in which they turned their back on you. And Father, I just pray that once again that we would have an understanding of what not to do in our lives, that we might have a pleasing testimony before the Lord and a testimony that speaks to a lost and dying world uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, would you just speak to our hearts this morning and we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Hosea only gets um, kind of six verses here and we are pretty much told uh, about Israel, the northern kingdom, being taken captive by uh, Assyria. Uh, The northern kingdom uh, only had a 200 or so year history Uh, And during that time, as we said, from the 19 kings and nine different dynasties, um, none of the kings were good. Um, During that time, the northern kingdom was just dominated by lawlessness and idolatry and wickedness and intrigue and rebellion. And we come to a point now where Hosea is pretty much, or the nation as a whole, is reaping what it has sown. That is a basic biblical principle that we can never, ever get away from. You reap what you sow. Uh, Israel had just reaped idolatry after idolatry after idolatry, and God said, do you want want idolatry that much? Then I'll send you to the most idolatrous nation at the time, and you can have all the idolatry that you want. Um, You reap what you sow. Uh, Hosea... um, kind of, I, I don't know if if there's any kind of legacy to be left behind, but when you look at what ended up happening to Israel, imagine that being on your resume, you know, what, what do you do with your life? Well, um, I pretty much, I was the one um, who kind of ended things for the Northern Kingdom of Israel, and they kind of all lost their, their nation, their identity, their, uh, you know, the 10 tribes were taken into captivity, and it's not much of a... Uh, an item to kind of be pleased about. But let's have a look at a few things. We're going to look at Hosea's worth, his worship, and his witness. So first of all, we see his worth. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Now, who can tell me what Hosea's name means? I'll give you a clue. It's similar to Hosea. I'll give you a clue. It's similar to Joshua. Uh, It it means Jehovah is salvation. Um, And that was the meaning of his name. And God is still the God of salvation. And it's incredible to me that all of these kings that came in the northern kingdom, they never once lived up to their name. Um, And here Hosea is exactly the same. Uh, We know what type of man he is because uh, we've seen from chapter 15 and verse 30 uh, that Hosea is the one that killed uh, Pekah. Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and smote him and slew him and reigned in his his stead in the 20th year of Jotham, king of Uzziah. So we know what type of man he was. Um, he took matters into his own hands, killed Pekah, and took the throne for himself. Now, we are not told why he wasn't as bad as the kings that came before him. He was still wicked, and we are told he was still evil in the sight of the Lord. Normally, the caveat that comes with that is they were wicked and they were evil, and they did just like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and they made Israel to sin just like him. But he wasn't as bad but he was still bad. You know, and a lot of times, people kind of use that as an excuse when it comes to salvation. Everybody's sin and comes short of the glory of God. But some people say, yeah, but I'm not as bad as. I make a difference. It doesn't make a difference how bad they are. When you stand before God, you've not got to give an account of their life. You've got to give an account of your life. And if you want to go to heaven... Then you've got to go God's way. You you can't force your way in, you can't buy your way in, you can't bribe your way in, you can't be good enough to get your way in. And it doesn't matter how bad everybody else is, it only matters what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're a liar, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're Some Yeah, but who do you say that I am? You see, it doesn't matter. Who I say Jesus is, it only matters what you say or who you say Jesus is. To me, Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my Redeemer. He's everything to me. But who is He to you? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? You know, the amount of people I've heard say, Ah, yeah, but... I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Let me tell you, I'm going to lay it out for you here. You're probably 10 times better than I am as a person. Certainly behind the wheel of a car, I'm sure you're better than me. But that doesn't really mean much. The standard was set pretty low to begin with. You know, we could all say that we're better than somebody, but that doesn't matter. And even though the historian says, yeah, well, he was good. Oh, sorry, he was bad, but he wasn't as bad as. It doesn't matter in the Lord's eyes. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then that slate is wiped clean. And it doesn't matter how good or how bad you think you are. And it doesn't matter how you compare yourself to somebody else. It only matters what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hosea came to the throne during the reign of Ahaz, king of Judah. And we and we see how wicked he is. You know, he even made his children to pass through the fire. He sacrificed his kids through the fire. He put his children in the hands of the burning, brazen statue of Molech. That's the type of person Ahaz was. Hosea could have turned and said, well, I'm not as bad as him. You know, I wasn't as bad as uh, as Pekah. I wasn't as bad as him. I was, yeah. You wouldn't be you were still bad you didn't live up to your name every time his name was called hey joe salvation hey jesus saves that's pretty much what i say every time his name was mentioned he would have been reminded of what he could have had in a relationship with the lord so where then was hosea's worship it says in verse three, against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to Saul, king of Egypt, and brought no presents to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up uh, and bound him in prison. It's interesting that in these verses, from uh, verse three to six, the king of Assyria is mentioned six times. Uh, Kind of indicates the fact that the king of Assyria had far more sway than the king of Israel. Uh, What Hosea did, uh, it says in verse 3 that he gave him presents. Now the word there, presents, is from a Hebrew word called mikau, which is an unused root meaning a portion or to bestow. It is a donation, a tribute, specifically a sacrificial offering. It is the same word used for offering in the meat offering or the meal offering of Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 4. So here's the thing. Hosea wasn't going to offer sacrifices to the Lord, but he had put his trust and his faith and his worship in the king of Assyria. And can I say this? That the very thing he worshipped, is the very thing that destroyed him. You know, people put their faith and trust in a lot of things today that actually end up destroying them. You know, the amount of people that turn to alcohol and think, oh, this will be the answer to everything, ends up destroying them. The amount of people that have turned to, to drugs for help have been the very things that have ended up destroying their lives. There's a lot of people that turn to the world for help and comfort and support, and they end up putting their faith and trust and put... Everything resting upon something that ends up destroying them. Our hope is not in the world. Our trust ought not to be in the world. Psalm 118 says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in Martin. What Hosea worshiped and what he trusted in and what his faith was in ended up destroying him. And do you know what? He's the type of person, let's keep our options open. I'm going to worship the king of Assyria as long as it benefits me. But now I can see that this is not benefiting me, so I'm going to go to Egypt now, and I'm going, to, I'm going to try a different king and see if he can help me. And he's already shown himself as an opportunist. We've, we've seen what type of person he is when he took the throne from Pico, and he saw an opportunity, and he took it, and he kind of looks at the king of Assyria and says, right, this is not quite working. But you're pretty much going out of the frying pan into the fire and so he turns to so the king of Egypt and that all that ended up doing was kind of speeding along the process of the king of Assyria. he made the king of Assyria so mad that he took him into captivity remember now I said earlier that Ahaz and uh, and Isaiah are uh, around at this time so Hosea has not taken any heed to the words of Isaiah when Isaiah said, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel. How interesting. Where was Isaiah ministering at this time? Where was Ahaz the king of? The south, Judah, where did Isaiah speak to Ahaz? At the conduit, at the pool, um, at the Gion Spring that goes down to the pool of Salome. So where was that? In Jerusalem. And what does Isaiah say? They look not unto the Holy One of Judah, the Holy One of just the seven tribes. No, the Holy One of Israel. Hosea still had the opportunity to call on the Lord that his name actually said he is the only one that can help and save. But what does he do? He turns to Egypt for help. And he turns to the world for help. Uh, in, In the Bible, Egypt is always a picture of the world. Abraham made that mistake when Abraham turned to Egypt for help. That first recorded uh, in Scripture when he took that fateful journey to Egypt in a time of famine. And what happened? Hagar, Ishmael. And that conflict between Ishmael and Isaac is still going on today. What happens when we look to the world for help in the times of need we're going to be disappointed. And we are going to be scarred spiritually. Uh, The king of Egypt didn't come to Hosea's help. You know, we see Assyria coming against Israel... And you say, well, yeah, well, that was inevitable, wasn't it? Because God said that they would be taken captive. And back in Deuteronomy, God said, if you don't obey my word and you don't obey my commands, I'm going to take you into a different country. So uh, that was inevitable. But Hosea could have prolonged uh, God's justice and judgment and wrath by calling upon the Lord and pleading to the Lord. Because that was his grace. That was his mercy. And we know that, the Lord had more than enough power over the Assyrian army because we're going to see in a couple of weeks when we come to Hezekiah, what happened when Assyria came against Jerusalem. So doesn't help the king of Egypt. So he doesn't help Hosea. But if he had depended upon God, the outcome would have been different. How many times do we as believers... Not depend upon God the way we should. You know how many times we say, Well, well the Lord, He'll never be able to answer that prayer. That, that, that's, that's just not possible. That just can't be done. That's just an impossibility. Maybe we're in a situation that feels like we're we're never going to get out of this. This There's just no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no hope for this. There's no way I can get through this. There's no way that I can ever come to terms with this. There's no way that I'm ever going to feel the same again. And we start looking in the wrong places for our help. Our help doesn't come from anywhere but the Lord. That's where our help comes from. He tells us that he's a refuge and a strength and a very present help in a time of trouble. But instead of going to the Lord, we, we turn to the world. Well, what does the world say? About it? it doesn't matter what the world says about things. What does the Lord say about it? It doesn't matter what the world says you should or shouldn't do. It doesn't matter what the world says you should or shouldn't believe. What does the word say? What does the Lord say? Because that's what's important to us. I don't want to please the Lord. I don't want to please the world. Hosea turned to a pagan king for help. He turned to the world for help. And in verse 4 it says that he was bound and he was imprisoned. The one thing that he thought could set him free, the one thing he thought could help, is the very thing that ended up binding him. And imprisoning him. That's what the world does. What seems like freedom from religion. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you Christians, you are trapped. I'm free from religion. Yeah, you, you might feel like you're free, but one day, whether you believe in him or not, you will stand before God. It doesn't matter whether you go through your whole life and say, I don't believe God exists. It'll make a blind bit of difference. Because one day you will face him, whether you believe in him or not, whether you've denied him or not. And when people think, well, I'm free from religion, can I tell you something? When I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was freer than I've ever been in my whole life. The Lord said in John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he goes on in verse 36 to say, "Uh, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Religion hasn't bound me because I haven't got a religion. I've got a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm not bound, I'm free, the sun sets you free, you can ask Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I mean, we may know them as um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were bound and cast into the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he says, "Lo, I see four men, loose, not bound, they bound them and threw them in the fire, he says, I see four men, loosed, walking around, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God, Even in the fieriest of trials, those men, those three boys were more free at that time than the the most powerful man in the world. Because that's what Christ does. He sets you free. I'm 100% in agreement that religion entraps and binds. But a relationship with Christ sets you free. How different things could have been for Hosea if he had turned to the Lord for help instead of worshipping these kings, instead of worshipping the world. The king of Assyria comes up through the land and comes up against Samaria and besieges it three years. And in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in and Harbour by the river Gozan and the cities of the Medes. Hosea passes from the pages of history. Let me ask you this question. What's interesting about Hosea's reign as a king? What is not recorded? His death. Every other king we've read about, he, he came to the throne at this age, and then he died, and then he came to the throne at this age, and he was assassinated, and then he was killed, and then we're not told about Hosea's death and um, we just told about his imprisonment because you see there's something i don't know there's something final about death in the world's view isn't it like once you die that's it you that's the end of it but for those who die without Christ there's an imprisonment and there's a punishment because sin has to be paid for we we have to pay for sin well we can't afford to pay for sin so Christ paid for it But if we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, sin still has to be paid for. So somebody's got to pay for it. Who pays for it? Well, if Christ doesn't pay for it, then you'll have to pay for it. Well, how do you pay for it? That's what that imprisonment is in hell for eternity. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to go to heaven. And spend eternity with him. He doesn't want us to be imprisoned as it were. He wants us to be free. Hosea's personal greed for power had blinded him. And it was fitting that the last king of a rebellious nation. A nation that had turned its back on God a nation that wanted nothing to do with the Lord, a nation that had set up its own idolatrous worship system, that this last king of Israel ended up being a prisoner. Uh, Some say that it's possible that Hosea was referring to Hosea the prophet, was referring to Hosea the king, when he said, as for Samaria, the king is cut off as the foam upon the water. Have you ever seen that when, when you get that audible dirty foam on the top of the water, and the, the, it just blows about. You know, there's no stability to it. And in the spite of bravado in the face of the enemy, Hosea is just simply carried away like the, that foam, that wisp from the top of the water. A long time has passed since the prophet Ahijah told the wife of Jeroboam that idolatry would lead to Israel's exile. 200 years Israel had the opportunity to put things right. We don't have 200 years. We've just got a few short years of our lives to make sure that our relationship with the Lord is right. God is true to his word. He said to Jeroboam's wife that Israel would go into exile, but they had the opportunity to put things right. There was no reform There was no revival. There was no call to a national repentance. There was no call to a national day of prayer. There was a rejection of the word of the prophets. Elisha and Elijah and Jonah and Hosea. And you had all of these prophets prophesying in the northern kingdom. And all of their voices went unheard. So what was his witness? What type of legacy did Hosea leave behind we're not going to read the whole of the remaining chapter but from chapter 7 through to uh, sorry from verse 7 through to verse 41 we see what happens to the kingdom the king of Assyria carries Israel away into Assyria and places them in these different cities and that was a serious policy they would take the people out of their own country and then what they would do is, is they would import their own people into that country, so that they there could be no uprising, and the people of that nation then couldn't, um, you know, kind of get their armies together and rise up uh, uh, against the, uh, the, the the Assyrians. And a lot of people have said, "Oh, yeah, well, you know, from this point, um, the, the the tribes of Israel, uh, um, you know, the ten tribes went off into Assyria and." Uh, verse 7 says for so it was that the children of israel had sinned against the lord their god which had brought them up out of the land of egypt from under the hand of pharaoh king of egypt and he feared uh, other gods the ultimate purpose of first kings and second kings is to show that disobeying god has no benefits whatsoever um, that's the whole point of First Kings one uh, and Second Kings. We see, for so it was in verse seven, and we're going to see a therefore in verse eighteen. What uh, the historian is saying here is this: Israel did this, for so it was. Therefore, God did this. And what we see uh, from verse 7 through to verse 17 is what the reason was for this um, uh, carrying off into captivity. In verse 7, Israel feared other gods instead of feeding the Lord. In verse 8, they adopted the customs of the Canaanites. In verse 9, they tried to keep their wrongdoings a secret. They covered the land with their high places. Verse 10, they set up their idolatrous pillars. Uh, they burned incense. In verse 11, on the high places. Verse 12, they served idols. In verse 13 and 14, they wouldn't listen to the prophets. In verse 5, uh, 14, they became stiff-necked. In verse 15, they rejected God's statutes and His covenant and his testimonies. They adopted the customs of the pagans. In verse 16, they disobeyed the commands of the Lord. They made molten images of the calves. They worshipped the host of heaven. They served Baal. In verse 17, they burned their children in the fire. They practiced witchcraft. They sold themselves to do evil. They provoked God to anger. Verse 18 says, therefore, because they did all of this. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, God is a vindictive God, and God is mean, and God is cruel, and God is just saying, look, if you worship me, everything will be okay. If you obey my commands, everything will be okay. I promise you that. But they didn't do that. He said, if you don't worship me, then I can't bless you. It's impossible for me to bless you. And let's be honest, as a, we might say, well, that's just not fair. That's, not, that, that's a cruel God. Let's be honest, as a parent, we don't, or at least we shouldn't, Reward our kids when they're playing up. We don't turn and say, Oh, good job. That was really naughty. Well done. You know, you, you know what? I, I, was, I was bribed as a child. Whenever we went anywhere, if I was good, I'd have luckies. You know that. And you could see the panic on my mum and dad's Oh, please be good. <laughs> please, be. you'll have luckies. If you're good, you'll have luckies. Just be good for one minute. 50 years later, and they're still bribing me with luckies. Dad comes into church every week and says, if you don't mention me today, I promise I'll buy you luckies. (laughs) I don't need them anymore, Dad. I got my own credit card. Therefore, Because Israel had done all of this, because they'd worship false gods, because they'd embraced the pagan practices of the nations around them, because they sacrificed their children through the fire, because they did everything contrary to what God had asked them to do, therefore, the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Therefore, because of what we just mentioned, therefore, because you've not listened, therefore, because you've not heeded, therefore, because of your actions have removed you from the land. Only a few people remained in the land at that time. In verse 24, it says, The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, and from Kuthar, and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from, uh, uh, from, and from the and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel and they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities there. Those that remained were immersed in idolatry. The exiles were sent to the center of idol worship at the time. And the king of a city repopulates the area with those from other conquered territories. Pagans now inherited the land from which they were meant to be removed and then they begin to intermarry with the Israelites that remained in that area and what did their offsprings became known as the Samaritans and we know from John chapter 4 Israel did not like the Samaritans why because of this reason because they were an inter-race. They were mixed. They, uh, Israel wasn't pure. They were meant to stay within their tribes, weren't they? They weren't meant to marry outside. And now we have the Samaritans. And what happens is a pantheon of gods are then worshipped. Verse 30 says, The men of Babylon made Succoth-Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibzahs and Tarak, and the Seraphims burnt their children in the fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of... Sever-. So you see all these gods. Verse 32 says, They feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. What a pantheon. And when you read, I haven't got time, but when you go into um, the gods that these they, they worship in, it's just going from bad to worse. But that just shows the futility of a false religion. This was a religion of fear. It says they feared the Lord... And made themselves, the lowest of them, priests. But well, we know at this time, uh, they were at a plague of lions in the land. Now if they trusted in the Lord, they didn't fear the Lord out of reverence, or respect, or worship. They were scared, and therefore it's like, well, these gods are not really working out, so let's just trust in another one. And some people treat the Lord like that. Well, nothing else has worked. So let's give this one a try. That's just a religion of fear. There are people today who will only pray when they're ill or in trouble or they have a need from the Lord. We are told to pray without ceasing. We are told to pray all the time. It was a religion of form. The Samaritans believed that acceptable religion depended on practicing the right rituals and customs. If the formalities were performed correctly, we'll be okay. And some people believe that today. But as long as I take communion, I'll be all right. As long as I've been baptized, I'll be all right. It's got nothing to do with communion or baptism or... You know my testimony. I got baptized twice. Because the first time I got baptized, I wasn't saved. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I went to church. Oh, they're having a baptism in the church. Oh, cool. I get baptized. It didn't mean anything. After I got saved then years later, I remember Pastor Rex preaching and he said this. He said, if you ever got baptized before you got saved, all you did was get wet. And I did the first time, I just got wet. Second time was a picture of what Christ had done for me. He died, was buried and rose again. And as a result, I was dead to my old life. And I was raised to walk in newness of life. You see, it's not about following rituals. We don't take communion because anything magical happens to the... You'd probably be disappointed where the, the bread come, comes from. It depends which deacon is buying the bread. It depends. The, the, the rich ones, they only buy like Tesco's finest fine or even Mark Spencer stuff. Some of our poorest deacons, it, that, that stuff's coming from littles. I can't even get all the grape juice. it's cranberry juice and it just like... Cranberry juice is allergic to being wet. It's just like, it's horrendous. But it's not about the type of items that we're using. It's about what they represent. It's a picture of the Lord's body and the Lord's blood. And we do that in remembrance of him. It's, it's not, this is not a religion of form to follow some rituals and regulations in order for us to be, you know, for God to be pleased in what we're doing. Their religion was a religion of facilitation. They feared the Lord, but they still served their other gods. You know, a lot of people think, well, I can, I can kind of come to church on a Sunday and I can dress up and I can look my best and I can smile and be happy and then I can just live like I please. I did that for a bit. You know, I played the organ in church and I'd go into church with all kinds of issues going on in my life. And everybody thought, but it wouldn't melt in my mouth, oh, he's lovely, oh, this young teenage boy in church, oh, how incredible, oh, if only they knew. I do my thing on a Sunday morning for an hour and then I go back into the world and do exactly what I want to do for the rest of the week. It's not a religion of facilitation. Christ changes our lives completely. Israel didn't learn her lesson. It's often been said that the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. The Lord had warned them and the Lord had chastened them and the people continued to worship their other gods and their idols and they worshiped God in their own way that was convenient to them. I'm thankful, though, for the fact that God knows exactly what he's doing. You know, as a lot of people said, Oh, well, since the ten tribes from the north were taken captive, they're no longer in existence. They're no longer a, a thing. They've disappeared forever. But the Lord knows exactly where they are. You know, there are people from those tribes that did actually go down to the south. There were times when some of the kings from the the south invited the the north to come down. To come to the temple to worship the Lord. Long before the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom. There were people that moved from the north to the south. We can see that in 1 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 11 and 2 Chronicles 19. Hezekiah invited the true believers to come to Jerusalem to worship God. Jesus spoke about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He didn't say the lost sheep of the house of the two tribes that are actually left and we know where they are. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Paul spoke about the 12 tribes. James wrote his epistle to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. If Revelation uh, is taken literally, uh, there are going to be 12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel that are used to witness to to a world during the time of Jacob's trouble. God knows exactly where everybody is. God knows exactly where we are today. He knows what you need. As a saved person, he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly the difficulties you face. He knows exactly what you need in order to help when it comes to times of difficulty, trial, trouble, hurt, and distress. He knows what you need. For those who are here. Maybe there are some that have tried to pull the wool over people's eyes to say, "Well, I want them to know that I'm a good person and I'm in church." But we need to be saved. Trust Christ as your savior. The Lord knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows, and He can also provide disobedient and compromising leaders, whether kings or priests, failed to teach the nation. we got too many people in the pulpits today that refuse to teach and preach the truth. Here's the truth of the matter. Everybody is going to die. That's the truth. You, you, you can't get away from that. That's the truth. The truth is everybody is going to go somewhere. The scripture says the truth is that some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. The truth is that the only way to go to heaven is God's way. The only way to go to hell is to do nothing. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is a heaven and it's real. The only way there is through the Son of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a hell, and it's real. The only way there is to just keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely nothing. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you were here today and you don't know him, come to know him. If you're watching online and you don't know him, please come to know him before it's too late. He knows what you need and where you are. Yeah, but I don't know what to say. He knows where your heart is. The Bible just says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You haven't got to be a theologian. You don't have to know how to pray a deep-rooted prayer. I think one of the sweetest prayers in the Bible is when Peter, as he was sinking beneath the water, said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, save me. For Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you do that today if you don't know him? If you are a child of God, here today and you think, I am struggling. He hasn't forgotten about us. Just as he knows where every single person is. Listen, the Israeli records were lost at AD 70 when the temple was burnt. Um, I think there's very few people who know what tribe they belong to today. But the Lord knows exactly where everybody is. He knows where you are today, and he knows where you need. That's the type of God that we serve. Father, we are thankful for this day and for this time together and for this opportunity to come around you, a word. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts today and help us in our times of need and distress and pain and heartache. And I just pray that you would just give us the comfort that we need and the help that we need and the hope that we need Father, there are many times that we struggle in our walk and we just feel so alone, but we are so grateful that we serve a God who has promised to never leave us and to never forsake us. So Lord, would you just continue to speak to our hearts today and help us. Whatever the need is here in the building or for those watching online, we pray that needs would be met, burdens would be lifted, souls would be saved, and we'd be mindful to give you the glory for it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I stand and sing our last hymn together, Love Divine, All Loves Excel. And we stand as we sing.
1: thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again this morning, Lord, to gather together in this place, Lord, to sing your praises and to gather around your word. We thank you for the word that we've heard and the challenge of it, Lord, and we just pray that if there is uh, one amongst us or watching the live stream that doesn't know you as Savior, we pray, Lord, that uh, today they will come to know you, they will come to trust you as Savior, and uh, what a blessing that would be for another soul uh, to be entered into the Lamb's Book of Life and so lord we just pray for those who are not with us those uh, we know that there are many who would uh, love to be here this morning and uh, for one reason or another are uh, not able to make it we pray to make up that this, this time to them lord and that your blessing will be upon every home and every family that's represented you uh, today so we thank you lord for all that you do for us we pray a blessing upon us as we leave this place until we meet again uh, later this day we pray this in the name of our uh, savior our risen lord the lord jesus christ